don't know this, then you're behind the times. The only metric that matters is convenience. Rules apply to you. Suddenly you're an advertiser. This is Social Minds, the UK's first dedicated social media marketing podcast brought to you by Social Chain. I'm Theo. And I'm Eve. And each week we'll be joined by a host of progressive minds to learn the unique and innovative ways that social media is being used around the world. On this podcast, we'll be discussing the latest developments across social and what they mean for us all. And if you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to get new episodes every week. This week on Social Minds. If you fundamentally get an idea that is social baked in from the very start, you don't need a hashtag and you don't need a call to action on the side of a bus. We sat down with Lee Benecki, who is the head of digital engagement at Wavemaker and someone with a lot of opinions on the rise of flashy tech in social media. Lee thinks that activations which merge online with offline still feel quite gimmicky, but he had some really good suggestions on how to create more seamless integrations. I think that you probably need to turn that novelty aspect into utility because utility by its very nature isn't gimmicky fleeting it's about how does it add value to us every day all this and more coming up have social media marketers stopped living in the real world i hope not (laughs) (laughs) i really really hope not i think i know you've talked about social media management teams before the podcast so i'm not going to repeat past stuff but I think it starts the whole thing about looking into reality starts from that I think when we're looking for people to work in social and in marketing we look for people who are social savvy digital natives which is obviously really easy now because well your generation the younger generation are, are by default digital natives you've known, not known anything different and then when you get into the nuts and bolts of what we do I suppose that's when it gets even more more so because uh, we're talking about apps and platforms and algorithms and screens and everything else digital so it's really easy to like forget that reality exists if that Mm. makes sense but fundamentally that's that for me that's that's all hardware that's the hardware of what we're doing the software that underpins everything we do it's culture and it's behavior and it's people and ultimately that's real that's real world and i think we've got to remember that if everything that underpins everything digital and social is real so if they have forgot about reality, I really want <laughs> I need them to come back, really, because it's yeah, it's a dangerous territory to go all in on that. But like you said, there, we we were talking about it before. I remember there is that sort of it looks as if there's that the departure from physical sort of yeah. goings on in a way. So like for instance, you've got on um, you know, we we try to crowbar social into real life, don't we? We put <laughs> we as, you know the perfect example you gave. We put tweets on the side of buildings and yeah. sort of you know on adverts and decide to soup show. cans and exactly yeah i think it comes down to planning so i think it's, it's easy right i think and this is having worked in social media for a long time i i'd like to think i know a little bit about it and i feel like i'm sensible enough to give a good recommendation to clients or people who ask me about it the problem is because social media is so all evasive everyone uses social media not in the context of obviously work but in terms of everyday life they think they know it they think they know how to use Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram or whatever that might be. That lends it, that's dangerous because you start to put on how you use social onto a brand social and everything else, and that's not correct. Mm. So that's bred a whole generation, maybe not generation, just a breed of people who are getting jobs in social media who don't know what they're doing, <laughs> to be brutally honest, um, because they don't know how to translate their everyday behaviour into actual brand marketing or everything like that. And I find that agencies who hire these people who are kind of all service and no underneath allow themselves to get into base tactics, like you were saying, the stuff mm-hmm. on side of mm-hmm. it's putting a hashtag on things. And then 
when that happens, the problem we've got, it's really easy. If someone comes to you and said, I've got an experience, I'm putting on a party, I'm putting on an event, an experiential, an experience for my customers. Here it is, here's the packaged idea, tell me how to execute it on social. Most people are going to go, oh, well, you've done it, you've got the idea. So now, like you said, I have to shoehorn social in somewhere. Mm-hmm. The easiest way to shoehorn social in is to go, okay, the absolute worst thing in the world is the Instagram frames and the pop-up uh, photo boost for you, all that sort of stuff. That's really cheap. And, uh, but it's easy because it's like, oh, well, if we do that, people will engage with the experience and they'll take a photo and they'll do this. Not really. It's a bit it's a bit cheap. Uh, and then the other thing is obviously, like I said, putting a hashtag on the side of your, on a, on a flyer or mm. on the side of your Airstream bus that you're running a pop-up It feels out like of. an afterthought, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, and that's the thing. It is like, well, what can we do? Well, we can get some vinyl and stick a hashtag on it. Done. Box ticked. Social's covered. <laughs> and it's not, it doesn't mean you get interacted with. It doesn't mean anyone's going to create content. It is just lip service to mm. something that doesn't need lip service. It needs actual attention because it's, it's worthy of our, our time. And I think that's where the planning comes in. And this is, I hope more experiential agencies are doing it. And I hope digital agencies who are working with experiential people are doing it as well. Is that actually in the planning, if you fundamentally get an idea that has social or even broader digital baked in from the very start, you don't need cheap base tactics for that. Mm. You don't need a hashtag mm. and you don't need a call to action on the side of a bus or to project something on the side of thing because it's inherent. The person's got to come into your experience and they just can't help themselves to reach for their phone, reach for their tablet, whatever they've got, and just want to take a picture because they want to take a picture to tell people they're there. They want to text their friends to tell them to invite them along or they just want to show off. But you don't need any of those base tactics because it's just inherent human behaviour to be, I'm here and I want to shout about it loud. And then the tactic becomes good Wi-Fi. <laughs> Make sure anyone who's at your experience has uh, the ability to share far and wide. But that's you've you touched on something I didn't even realise there. But it's so true. Just the, you know, the the physicality of like an extravaganza, say a mm. gig, a concert, or anything. That is just enough to say I am here. You don't need a hashtag mm. to tell you I'm here at this gig doing this X Y Z. This is the filter I use, and and, yeah. and, so, and so on. Do so you forth. think things like that? People don't like go into those events, organising them with digital and social in the back of their minds. Mm. But is that something that just has to happen organically? Or do you think there is a method that, say, brands can follow, agencies can follow to get that in in an authentic way? Um, I think if you if you understand that social is human behaviour at the centre of it, and this is education, as an agency, you need to be bold enough and mature enough to say, I don't need base tactics. Mm. And if a client wants something base, you've got to be willing to stand up and go, look, I can achieve, like you said, for you, you can achieve this. You don't need a hashtag, really. If you want one, again, have one. Mm. But you, mm. if people are searching for X gig or X brand, using the brand name comes up. It's this search behavior. Mm. You don't need that. A hashtag essentially just is a bit of a unifying thought, I suppose. You can just yeah. to link something together. But... I think for the other side, for the agencies, they need to be better. They need to be bolder and braver to say to their clients, no, we don't need these base tactics. We're better than that and you're better than that. Mm. Your customers don't need it and this is why. And then hopefully your experience will show. So you need that kind of brave. And then even brands to a certain extent need to get educated that yeah. it's not around. I was going to say, because often they don't know anybody. They'll trust whatever their agency is telling exactly. them is the right way to go. So a lot of them would just say, okay, you know, if that's what you think is best. Yeah, and I think agencies are, well, I must say, I don't want to call out agencies specifically, but marketers generally, even mm. in-house, have a lot to answer for because, like I said, it's easy to do hashtags and all those simple things because it's just like, 
what is the minimum effort and reward to get into X from A to B, let's say? It's this. It's But if you actually think about it and go, well, I need to, from the ground up, think about how social integrates into my experience or my event, that's difficult. It really is because you have to think about everything. Mm. One of my, I have had clients in the past where they talk about live, for example, and it, live has always been one of my biggest bugbears in social because when Facebook went all out with billboards and everything else around live, it was ushered as the go-to thing to do. This is what we do now. We go live. Mm. Oh, mm. oh, do we? That's interesting. And like, oh, and so I had a lot of clients and uh, people I know saying, oh yeah, I'm going to go, uh, we're putting on an event. It's going to be live streamed. I'm like, what are you live streaming? And there's this, oh yeah, just the event. I'm like, what? Everything. And it just became this whole thing of like, sticking a smartphone or even if you savvy enough to have a multi-camera setup to do it properly and going right we're live now okay what we're going to do with that now we need to do something now we're live and i've seen so many campaigns fall because they do just do that they just go live and think that's the end of it whereas tv wouldn't just go live and just think oh we'll wing this and see what happens (laughs) you you have to have a route in mind as to who you're going to speak to next what is it you're actually going to cover live so it's it's difficult. It is difficult. I'm not saying it's an easy route to do this, but ultimately it is about, yeah, being savvy enough and educated enough to say this is the way. Yeah. We well, know like quick wins aren't. Well, I, I was here. just going to say as well, but with, with live as well, do you think part of that's rooted in, I mean, live isn't, uh, you know, the engagement grabbing sort of beast it no. used to be. Do you remember mm-hmm. there was a time where we always say it, don't we? In the in the first few weeks of Facebook Live when reach was maximized, when mm. growth was maximized and everything. That's when people were getting creative. That's yeah. it. And yeah. now you're right, yeah. people are like <clears throat> it's an extra add on. Just felt oh, we'll do that as well. Yeah. But that's it. It has always been that case where you want to again this is a marketing player, but you want to be the first person who tells your client, did you know? Facebook have launched live, mm. Twitter have done Periscope, Snapchat, you can do this. You want to be that person who does it, because if you don't do it, your other agencies in the mix will probably do it, or mm. some intern who, or someone who sorry, works at the, the client will flag it out, and you don't want to be the person who gets has to be told about an innovation, no. especially as a marketer. So, the, But the problem is then, most people go on day one, Facebook have launched X, tell client Y, and then let's do it. Well, no, Facebook have launched X, how do we then translate that into something that's relevant to the client how do we make sure that do we use it today if, you, if you've got a relative use for it yeah great mm, mm. But if you don't pack it and make sure that it's for the next experience it's the next time you've got an opportunity because mm. for every brilliant example there's probably a million bad examples and then you get and then that those sort of things and this is a bigger issue probably broader than this, this topic but it's about it just breeds bad habits further and further on because you do it once and you might be looking, it works. So then suddenly you sell it to every client and it doesn't work for every client. Or even worse, you go, I'm going to go live and you have, we had thousands of people viewing and then you look in the back end and go, actually, you had a thousand people for the first 10 seconds and then they all dropped off. And And by the end of the 30 minute stream, you had two people, which is great. That was worth the investment. (laughs) So I think that's, and that's the thing where you, yeah, proliferating that kind of, you're telling a story, but you're telling a wrong story. So when you want trying to want to do it right, you've set yourself up with all these. Yeah, it's easy to make the same mistakes again. Mm. Have you got that one brilliant example? Well, like, has anyone done it right? In terms, in terms of offline and online together, mm. there's a couple. I think there's there's two that come to mind. One of them is uh, Nike, and I, I f- apologies, but I forget the name of the actual campaign. But in terms of the structure of it. They ran an event in London and it was, they got their athletes, obviously they tooled up to them, their eyes with, with talent there, but they had, they got six of their talented, most talented footballers down and they were like big names, so uh, Arsenal striker Pierre 
Obiang and Max Rashford from United and a few even from like Juventus and Real Madrid flew over to London for this event. And it was a great event because they basically set them up and said, right, it's going to be like a skills showman test. We're going to put six of the best strikers together and they're going to battle each other for this crown of best striker. Brilliant concept. Works brilliant because obviously all the Nike branding and all the athletes and everything else. Mm-hmm. And then they put on the, the, the venue was amazing. Uh, they had about 100 to 200 people there, I believe. And it just felt like as a single unit, as an experience, if you were one of those 100, 200 people, it was special because you, you felt mm-hmm. you felt he was there. Mm-hmm. And they, they did the usual whiz-bang stuff you'd expect Nike to do. Then over the top of it, they overlaid digital in the sense of, well, we can't get everyone in there. Nike's big enough to obviously have millions of people want to be involved. And you've got the fans of the individual players and clubs who want to be there. Yeah. So they live streamed it. But again, it wasn't just like, here's a picture of a striker, go live. It was, we're going to have... 10, 20 cameras at all levels of this event. And at one point, we'll have a compare doing the kind of full-on where I'm, I'm a presenter in between the techers. We're going to get the play, players interviewed. We're going to then speak to a panel and we've, we've invited ex-influencer down so we'll make sure he gets 10 minutes on the on screen. Mm. It, it was curated perfectly for that kind of live performance. So you could join in and it'd be feel you were part of it. Yeah. And then on top of that, when it came to the actual skill show, someone scores goals or something interesting you could vote on it so you could vote in they had an in event panel who was saying you're the best you're the best but you could tweet you could, you could tweet and you could vote via social to say I think this person should have won and yeah. it all just I like that sort of two yeah. way yeah. do you know what that is the exact power for me of live having experienced it it's because, you know, live TV is that anything can happen it's got that veil about it yeah. but it's the going mm. a step further when yeah. you can actually you know, it's like speaking to your television, isn't it? When when oh, you yeah. when you've got that metric where you can, you know, affect what's going on yeah. in a way or vote or like you say. So there's absolutely no point having a thousand eyes on you if they're just looking. Exactly. If they're just, yeah. there, if they're just passive, like, which we're If they're not doing against. anything, there's no point in them being there. Like of get course. them involved. Yeah, and that's where they drop out, obviously, because you want them to stay for however this event is an event, so it's hours long. It, mm. it must have been a two mm. to three hour event. Yeah. And I'm sure people dropped in and out and that's fine, but they must have had a sustainable core of people who stayed for the duration because they wanted to know what mm. happened next. They wanted to be involved in the next rounds of who's going to win the competition, yeah. what happens in this event. And there is, that's, it's really easy to talk about Nike, I suppose, because Nike are Nike and they can do whatever they want, whether it's talent and resources and budget, yeah. and even agency uh, lineups. But there is other practical examples. So again, it's a big brand, but like uh, I have mentioned to you guys before about Refinery29, who did the 29 rooms yeah. pop up. It was a little bit hipster for my liking, but I am a 35-year-old bloke, so probably not their target demo, to be fair. <laughs> um, but what they'd essentially done was obviously created 29 rooms, which were 29 individual experiences that were basically Instagram-friendly. Mm. So you went into a room and one of them, it could have been anything from neon lights to art installation to ball pits and craziness and food, and it could be anything. And the idea is you pass through it almost like a museum of them, of Instagram culture. And along the way, you share, you're creating content and sharing it. Mm. And the good thing about that for me, what I liked about it was it's it's it was deep, 29 rooms. So you could I could have gone in there and hated 28 of those rooms. Mm. But if one spoke mm. to me, they're the, I'm going to still share it. I'm going to use the hashtag if they had one. Mm. I'm going to mention them, and it's an experience. If I liked 5, 10, 29 of those rooms, awesome. Then it's like real life scrolling, isn't it? Yeah. It's just like you see 28 things you don't like until you see the one that you yeah, do. Exactly. And way it's strange. Am I right in thinking that they invited influencers to yeah. the to the opening, or was it open to the public as well? I think it was a mixture of both. I think it's, it's the, I think they're doing it again actually, but oh, um, I think it was, yeah, yeah, I think it was it was a good mix. And again, that's a key thing of again the Nike example and all good examples. To use an analogy around analogy around sound levels and kind of mixing stuff, you've got to get the right levels of stuff. So mm-hmm. to put on an event alone isn't enough. You mm-hmm. have to create awareness of it and bring people to it. 
you to invite something to just influences, well, that's not enough because it feels exclusive and it's not right. Then you think, well, I never would have been invited to that in the first place. Yeah. But you, a pocket of them because they're the ones who've got the big crowds and the big audiences who can tell more people about it. Then you get everyday people because they want to be a part of the experience. If you can't be part of the experience, you can use live and you can use stuff like that to make sure inclusive for everyone. Mm. And again, it's just this whole, f- I hate the term 360, but it is a 360 property that allows us to say, look, an event isn't a case of rocking up in a town square, putting on an event and going, great, everyone knows who I am now. Yeah, Not true. Course. You have yeah. to, these sound levels of up, down, up, down and get everything right. I'm interested because you said yourself as well, like, you know, we talked about night, we talked about Refinery29, mm. he's obviously very sort of cool, youth orientated brands who, who can do this. Now I'm saying not, you know, not cool brands, but yeah. say like your supermarkets, your Tesco's, your Asda's and, and you know, everyday brands that we interact with, FMCG is, I suppose is a great one. How yeah. do they incorporate this sort of thinking into that, you know, without getting A-list footballers and yeah. all the rest mm. of it? Yeah. Well, budget is a, always a barrier to these yeah. things. Uh, but ultimately, I think at the moment, live or experiential and even social media within that context, it feels gimmicky. I think mm-hmm. it does. And the reason why it is gimmicky is because by its very nature, experiential is fleeting. It's all about we are here for X amount of time. And while we're here, you need to experience this. Mm. When in fact, that, that, that kind of behavior breeds gimmicks and quick wins because everything is quick and in the moment. Stuff like supermarkets, FMCG brands or um, retail stores who are always there, always need to do something different. I think they probably need to turn that novelty aspect into utility to a certain mm-hmm. extent mm-hmm. because utility by its very nature isn't gimmicky and fleeting. It's useful and it's every day and it's something that's going to make <clears throat> a transaction easier, a task easier, or it's just useful. It makes us better, better day-to-day stuff. So again, this is about tra- how do we translate technology, digital behavior, but actually do it in a really useful way. That allows us every day, it just adds a little bit of value. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to shock us and make us jump up and down. It's mm-hmm. nice every now and then to do that, obviously. But it's about how does it add value to us every day. And I think that's where people who don't have infinite budgets or people who are a little bit more mundane, they're not a Nike mm-hmm. or a Refinery29 who's mm-hmm. got Instagrammers and sorry, influencers coming out of the every part of the business. Um, <laughs> uh, I'd think about how I said that. So yeah, I think that's a bit more, yeah, I think utility in that sense. Does utility lend itself to not pushing the boundaries because it's so reliable, because it's always there, because it's like, you know. But I think that's how it becomes part of culture and that's how it becomes a little bit more thing. Because it is, and you'll never get away from it. I ever want to get away from the big whiz-bang, big mm. brand campaigns because that's how you make fame and you can create authority through a single a big splash. But you can't do that every single day. Yeah. <clears throat> and neither should you because it becomes very... Um, so you're coming from one side to another at one point you can, you never settle because you're always going big peak big spike mm. and then you can never come down mm. because you're like oh my god I just hit a bigger one and I need to keep going I keep going so it like lose its impact <clears throat> after the first yeah. couple of yeah. times as well like, you can't do that stuff on repeat yeah and I think you need that consistent uh, I suppose that heartbeat of what you're doing to be um, to be present at all times and I think the utility thing is interesting because if you look at showing my age now but MySpace and that kind of early days social I love MySpace, big fan at the time, but it was 100% customizable profiles, GIFs, songs, really throwaway widgets and little add-ons. Facebook started that way as well, but when it came in, it became a lot more utility because it was a means of communicating and keeping in touch with people. Mm. They then added buttons like Messenger and private messaging, etc., because that allows you to keep in touch. And that's how stuff like WhatsApp became a default way of texting friends rather mm. than using stuff. And WhatsApp is by far, I know it does innovate, it does innovate, but it's not an interesting app really 
but it's utility. It's just it, useful. Yeah, it allows me to use my phone number, which I've got uh, just through my service provider, mm-hmm. and text mm-hmm. anyone I know in my phone effortlessly. They'll pay for it, goes quicker because I'm using connected services. So for every Snapchat lens or Instagram this or Twitter that, I need a, I need a WhatsApp who just goes, you know what, I need to send a message to someone. Mm-hmm. I just want to be... I just want to be connected. I want to do something really simple. Yeah. If something's useful, I guess it'll stay that way forever. Yeah. But a gimmick can never, like, mm. there's no guarantee you'll yeah. you'll enjoy it forever. It can be a novelty that wears off after a week. Yeah. And I, I think that's, Facebook, that's it. Yeah. We need to translate the kind of gimmicks into it. And it's, like I said, there's a difference between gimmicky novelty and then cheap and basic. Mm. So within, you can be gimmicky and novelty. If you find, if you can do something first or you can do something particularly interesting with that medium, go to town do it because you're going to be it's a great headline grabber you're going to be the first to do it and you're going to yeah you reap the benefits of hopefully being a first to market all agencies want that all marketers want to do that but that doesn't mean quick means basic and cheap because like if you said say then but long term it doesn't help anyone just you just end Mm. up being you're known for cheap tactics and then cheap tactics don't work so you try another one and that's still another cheap tactic you have to just Again, it sounds really boring, but it is planning. It's about being able to look at something and say, right, this technology could do this for me. Mm. How do I use it properly? So do you think some of the more flashy technologies like AR and VR, everyone's thinking of like fun ways to use these or seeing if they will start to play a big part in in the marketer's arsenal. Where where do you see those technologies coming into play? Um, not for a while. Um, <laughs> for a while. I, mean, I said every every single year it seems to be that this is the year it cuts through. And I feel yeah. like I've been having that conversation as a child of the 80s. I remember virtual reality the first time around. To a certain extent as a child, I remember seeing those headsets and little things like that. And it was awful. Uh, really basic. <laughs> um, and I think that's the thing that you look at now is that everyone's so keen to get to the next thing. Mm. And I say that firmly with my tongue in cheek because I'm equally as bad as that with technology as well. But... There's nothing wrong with saying virtual reality is our future, but that don't mean it's 2019 or it's 2020. It doesn't have to be. I'd rather get to the point, because that's the problem we had when we had like uh, Google lenses or if you look at Snapchat spectacles, Mm. everyone just wants to rush to do it. While Snapchat were busy building the future of sunglasses and AR through sunglasses, they completely forgot the fact they had a platform to look after. (laughs) And they've caused all sorts of problems for themselves. And Google went straight to market with their things that looked ultimately space age but really ugly no Mm. one's wearing them and it proved no one bought them and then it went off market so that's what i mean about the first mover advantage so if you've got the power do it because give it a go but don't start thinking like if google google should have been able to nail that if if, they've got first mover advantage whether it's budget technology people reach everything else and they still mess that up And if they can't do it, why 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 do we need to rush to it? I just feel I just feel like at the moment we're very we're very prone to want to get to the future now. Yeah. When in fact we're infinitely better than we were. I think it was ago. ahead of its time, but that's sort of what we've been seeing, the difference between VR and AR, whereas VR might not be ready yet. People are or more brands are starting to integrate augmented reality yeah. in things like whether it's an in-store activation, you can like yeah. try on something before you buy it, or we're looking at demos now through things like Snapchat and Amazon. Mm. Do you think that's more suited? Or are we still feeling a bit gimmicky? Um it depends. I think the problem with that is in order to augment reality, you've got to understand reality. If that makes sense, <laughs> you can't. If you don't understand, physically understand reality or how to integrate the two, how are you meant to augment it and change it? Mm. And I think again, there is brands, and I think fashion is a great example of brands who are doing that whole online, offline, try before you buy, and even like 
really again utility services around we won't charge you until you actually want something yeah and I remember when those in, those frames in changing rooms came in you could like put your credentials in and send it to a mate and it felt so clunky of like I've just tried on an outfit now I've got to type in my login details and I've got to do this and I've got to send it to a friend and I've got to wait for them to respond and you probably stood in the changing room like I could have just put this back I bought it <laughs> I could have bought it by now and I think again that's the whole thing I think those sort of simple augment reality plays are nice and they are right if they're right for your brand and you feel like you can it can uh, engineer it in a way that's suited to your experience already then go for it but just don't I think whenever those, those mirrors, one person did it and then suddenly the entire Westfield bought a load of them and every shop had them. Mm. Yeah. Or like every brand wants to follow a, a Boohoo or a Pretty Little Thing. It just becomes this big follower network of like, I did it first, but then 10 people did it. No one's doing it 100% right. Uh, and yeah, so I think it is, if it's right for you, do it, but just yeah, don't feel like you have to. I think that's the big thing. People get caught up and like, just like, oh, well, they've done it. So now we have to rush and do it, but they're not stopping yeah. to think about how it works for them. But I've got to say as well, I feel like I feel like I've fought AR's corner for mm. so long, but thinking about it now, in this context, there does still feel something a bit cartoony about it. It feels a little bit kind of I don't know, like a Everything feels like, like it's a, a toy. disruption. Yeah, yeah. It, is, and it yeah. is. And it's a gimmick thing, and I'm gonna keep saying that word, but it is. It's like um there is a few examples where it feels genuine. It feels like it's actually improving experience or it's improving physical surroundings so mm. there's a lot of projects around mm. AR on like AR art for example where you could potentially use lenses to improve a surface or just add value to something that you're physically seeing mm. they're nice they, I think that's a nice you to again a useful way of doing it, it improves mm. an experience and I think a lot of people like museums and stuff should be considering how to to blend the two online physical mm. and offline but again, it just becomes, it's just so easy to do it. Like I said, gimmicky. It's a, it's a plastic headset you stick on your head and then go, and you're no longer in reality. Mm. <laughs> that's not what we need right now. I think, like I said, it's just, uh, for everything on this entire argument, it's pretty good. And there's a, a core br- bunch of people who want to do it right. And there's a core bunch of people who are creating technology that's relevant. And there's a core bunch of agencies who are willing to use that technology for good. And then there's the rest of us. Uh, not us, sorry, the rest of the people out there who, who are just doing it in the opposite direction. They're just taking, they're, they've either been sold a dream by a provider, they want to just get to the market quicker, and they're just using it for evil, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> and they're the ones who need to be stopped. Yeah. It's a slightly philosophical sort of question or point, I should say, mm. but I feel like this is such a byproduct of not just the internet generation, yeah. but the social media generation. I mean, in the in the sense that we, we put out a WhatsApp bulletin every morning and... Never in an industry have I known there to be such sort of changing updates mm. each and every oh, single yeah. day. Oh yeah, and it's and it, it must be to you know not not being a marketer by trade, but it must feel like right, we're doing this and now we're doing this and now we're doing this and now we can add this and now we can add this and. And that's the, that's the thing about the predictions, and especially in agency land where you're selling a dream to a client. And you've got to turn around and you've got to stand in front of a client and say, this is the next big thing. Mm, and then mm. a week later or a month later, you're going, that actually wasn't the best thing, <laughs> next big thing because <laughs> they've just launched something else or someone's come and disrupted it. And I think I've worked in social media now for probably around 12 years, 10, 12 years. I've been fortunate enough to be very early to the game just through mm. being around mm. it, basically. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I, I love that. I, I equally love and love that about the industry because... I've never been able to settle and go, okay, well, I'm going to go all in on X channel or X tactic because the second I get used to it, they launch something else or there's a, a, a beta version that's something slightly better. Mm. 
uh, but equally, like I said, it, and it's it can be frustrating because, like I said, you put all your you you, you want to sell it and you want it to be great, or you particularly love something. So I loved Vine, for example. I thought Vine was one of the greatest things. Me too. Yeah, it was just it was so yeah. good. It's so simple, but so brilliant. And then due to a number of issues with Twitter, they just binned it. And I was like, you can't just bin something that was so wonderful. And yeah. you can see resurgence in stuff like TikTok and stuff like that, mm. but it's still not not there for me. But, no. um, but yeah, it's, a, it's just so quick to be, like I said, throw away or move on to the next thing, where I think there's a number of innovations we've seen over the years that if given a bit of breathing space, mm. could yeah. have been better. It must be so difficult as well, because <clears throat> we talk about budget being a barrier. And I think a lot of, maybe not agencies, but especially in-house, sometimes they have very small marketing teams that yeah. just don't have the time in the day to try out all these different things. So when they hear, oh, we've got something new, they feel the pressure to try it, they literally aren't able to take that time and test it and yeah. see if it actually works and see if it is going to last. So I think we're quite fortunate. We have our mm. media chain network yeah, in which we use um, that audience to like constantly test new technologies mm. and we can actually pick and choose which is going to do well before it even gets to the client stage. But for those who don't have the advantage of of time yeah. and resource, how would you suggest they <laughs> they go about that? It is difficult because, like I said, you have to choose. You can't... Because for every example of a brand going uh, all in on something and then failing, there's a million examples who spread themselves too thin and go on everything yeah. and spend yeah, so much exactly. time on uh, on X channel. And it, like I said, on Vine, I know a lot of brands who went for, saw the, the, the curve of Vine and went all in and then were like, oh, great. They got, <laughs> they just yeah, that, that's the risk though, isn't it? Because you never know. But I think that's it. You've got to, and that's it. That's that's the game. They, they, if there is a game afoot, then that is it. You have to, to a certain extent, there's a deck of cards in front of you and you have to play what you think is right. Mm. And if you've got to be prepared to lose that, go all in on Snapchat and then they do something fundamentally wrong or all in on Instagram and then Facebook buys them and fundamentally changes the game of how you're using it. Mm. The skill as a marketer is to understand, ideally, one step, two steps ahead so you can almost play to that strength so mm. people mm. it is through the bulletins from you guys through good research from just being in the feed and seeing things you mm. can you can predicate what's happening next you can see it if you if you're savvy enough you just have to yeah going back to the relationship between um the physical world and the mm -hmm. social world as well going slightly off piece here one of the things that we haven't covered is uh these geotagging sort of tools that you get with yeah. uh, snapchat and stuff mm. like that and you can measure uh, footfall, for instance, yeah. through social media. Has that been, would you say, a byproduct that we've seen of this, you know, these two worlds coexisting and coexisting well? Yeah, and I think that's, again, that's probably bound to the novelty versus utility conversation. Mm -hmm. Again, it's the, the sexier, more fun stuff to do is live and lenses and everything else. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't lend itself to everyone. So you need something that's a little bit more tangible, tangible or something, especially in a marketing world, you need something that's ROI driven. Mm -hmm. So that's when you need to develop stuff like beacon technology and be able to see who's in store when and what are they doing because that then layers on with your sales data and all the heavy lifting stuff you've got behind the scenes to make it useful. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where, especially agencies and marketers selling to big brands, you've got to understand that it doesn't always work to walk into someone and say, I've got this, again, a whiz-bang idea to sell because they don't want whiz-bang ideas. They want something that integrates, shows value, mm. shows a tangible ROI. And that's when it's not all about lovely, beautiful things. It's about, mm. it's rigor. You yeah. need to be able to 
And that's the thing, you need to be able to sell the magic and hopefully sell the rigor at the same time to be mm. able to underpin all that. That's it. Um, and I think that that's the, that's the ultimate thing. The ultimate goal for this offline versus online thing is to get it so it's a seamless experience. I think it's fair to say that customer journeys now are not linear. I'm not teaching anyone anything new there because hopefully everyone knows that. No, you don't go into a state where you're suddenly online, now you're offline and you're back online again. It is yeah. this integrated. But we need to be able to look at it and say, well, if I'm online and I need to be able to look be physically connected to a store or a person, mm -hmm. you need to be able to, whether it's using personalization, a really nice UX or website or app, or the simple fact, give me a phone number to ring, or tell me where my local store is. It can be as simple as that. Or it is stuff like try before you buy, those things we've just been talking about. In terms of physical, you need to be, again, you can do personalization. There's examples like the Burberry flagship store in London course, where yeah, you can almost yeah. bring your online behavior and it'll start recommending yeah. product to you, which like is the amazing. Amazon store. Yeah. yeah. Also, Instagram is bringing out geo-tagging uh, soon. They've been testing you, location it, stuff. Yeah. So hopefully that's one to watch. The private, there is a, again, there's a, there's a got ongoing conversation about the privacy angle of like, do I want to know, mm. do I want people to know I'm in this shop right now? Cool experiences. I want people to know I'm there because it's a status thing. Do I want people to know that I'm shopping in X supermarket? I don't know. So that there is, there is this, again, this fine line of like, one size doesn't fit all in this because, mm. um, yeah, for some, I want to tell people, I want to be geotagged, I don't want to be told that I want Facebook to know I'm in this store right now. For other things, I don't want people to know I'm in this store. <laughs> I don't want this to be like, well, this is, I'm just on my own here. I'm just wanna, I don't want to be in this bar. I don't want to be bothered. So yeah, there is a little bit of that. That seems like an excellent nugget of truth to leave it on because I'm afraid we've run out of time. But thank you so much for coming in, Lee. Really, really enjoyed. No, it's yeah, been great. Thank uh, you. Thank you. All day. Thanks. This has been the Social Minds podcast with Theo, Eve and music by Pierre Flass.